Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wealth Investment Podcast. I'm here with Josh Nichols. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us here on a Friday, Josh. Yeah, no, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So could you tell the listeners just a little bit about what you do and kind of what you guys have going on? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a principal uh, with uh, Coast Oak Group, and we are a residential uh, development company. Uh, we, we say residential broad brush. Um, because we do everything from land development to um, uh, single family home building and multifamily. Uh, so basically, if you live in it or on it, that's kind of our, our focus. Uh, and then we also have a, a builder. It's an in-house builder called Cobalt Homes uh, that focuses on townhomes uh, and multifamily product really within primarily the DFW area. Okay, good deal. Yeah, building's a tough business right now. We were talking about that a little bit before the podcast started, um, so we can get into that a little bit in terms of risk. So, uh, this you know this podcast is really directed about uh, you know risk and how do you quantify it. And I, you know, I immediately thought of you when sort of thinking about this. I know we've had some ex email exchanges about how you guys think about risk. So, mm -hmm. you wanted to maybe tell our listeners kind of how you think about risk, how do you quantify it, um, kind of maybe just give us a, a backdrop about how to. How you guys think about that? Yeah, sure. Well, so I guess, you know, to, to kind of give a little bit of a background, you know, my my background before we started uh, Coast Oak, um, you know, I, I spent a couple of years at Goldman Sachs working in real estate investment banking and real estate private equity. And my business partners have similar backgrounds. So, you know, our approach to the business and risk has been probably more institutional um, in, in nature and how we view things uh, than kind of other, you know, other kind of land developers. You know, so, so risk, obviously, I mean, look, it kind of, we got to figure out where the jumping off point is here um, because, you know, risk is a very simple word that means a lot of things. Um, and the, you know, the, the risk in our businesses right now, um, range from most basic market risk uh, to zoning risk um, to construction risk, which means both risk and people who you're hiring as well as cost materials. Um, you know, so you know the way that you evaluate risk really changes depending on what you're what you're really looking at, what you're what you're trying to figure out. Right. Right. So I know that we're kind of operating in a unique environment now. As we shoot this, there's the, the Ukrainian situation going on and uh, material prices have gone up quite a mm -hmm. bit. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you guys are thinking about macro risks and, you know, cost risks and things like that that are going on? And, you know, for somebody that's looking to invest with a, a principal or a sponsor, you know, how should they be thinking about, the right questions to ask for um, sponsors is to just to understand, are they accounting for that and their modeling when they're trying to, you know, either invest with the sponsor through a private equity fund or, you know, on a syndicated basis for an individual asset. Yeah. So, so we always talk about the, the two main groupings of risk being the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. And the former is easier to underwrite than the latter. Um, and I would say with where we are right now with kind of the geopolitical stuff really highlights um, 
some of the some of the fact that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you can underwrite, what you know are the risks. There are all these unknown risks, you know. So specifically, just you know, for our business, you know, we our our builders focused in Dallas, um, and yes, we have had to navigate the uh, the construction um, supply chain issues and the fact that you know lumber has gone from, I mean, has tripled. Uh, from ones we have, we're building. Oh yeah, it's 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 nuts. I mean, go back just just a real quick, uh, real time example. You know, the townhomes that we built in 2018, our lumber package, and, and we you know, we build rooftop decks, so there's there's a lot of extra lumber and structural elements to it. It, it used to be thirty five thousand to forty thousand a unit, and um, the bids that we got back for our most recent projects were over a hundred thousand a unit. Wow. Now all that cost has to be passed on if you can uh, at the in the home prices, but you know that's also why when you know people are looking at home prices right now and saying oh they're so high, you know builders have to be crushing it. You know yes, builders are making money, but you know costs have gone up even more than than home prices. Right. So it's it's, a, it's definitely a balancing act. Um, but sorry, I, I kind of digress there on the question. So you know the under the unknown unknowns, right? Things that you couldn't even underwrite. You know, we we are we build some pretty high quality townhomes, and so we've actually started using um, a German uh, a German cabinet system um, that is manufactured in Germany. Now, the fact that the you know, situation in Ukraine is impacting right. the cost of production in Germany, and you know, and you know, the, there's all kinds of risk that that is introduced there. Which I mean, we never even thought of, right? Now we we did we did consider not buying certain things out of China because we knew the shipping, you know, the shipping issues. Um, but Germany seemed like a really stable, reliable place yeah. to get some high quality cabinets out of. And you know, hopefully that's still the case. But it just highlights this kind of difference between known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Um, so you know, from a from an LP's perspective, right? If you're if you're looking to invest with a sponsor, you know, obviously experience I think is important, um, and the the impact of experience and the importance of experience probably does differ depending on what type of investment it is. Yeah, you know, and what I mean by that is if it's a if it's um, a multifamily syndication where it is a you know operating multifamily asset. And the property management is in place. Um, that's a different type of risk and a different kind of dynamic with the sponsor than if you are working on a ground-up development project. Um, and so, you know, the type of the type of asset that you're looking to invest, in, I think, changes how you view, you know, the the importance of sponsor experience and how you're considering risk and you know their ability to manage it. Okay. So let's talk about that some. So you're a ground up developer. I mean, I do ground, I've done ground up development projects mm -hmm. and do ground up development projects. If I'm an LP and I'm looking at your project versus a syndicated asset, which I'm, I don't know if you've done that before in your career or not, but you know, what, what different questions should I ask or how should I attempt to quantify, you know, whether or not this person knows what they're talking about? or has been through enough cycles in order to be able to see some of these risks that 
you know, somebody that's maybe a little bit more junior has not seen. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that's a, that's a, um, that's always a tough one, right? Um, you know, again, I, for obviously from an LP perspective, ideally, um, if you are investing a significant amount of money in something, it should be something that you're fairly familiar with. Um, and being familiar with the product type, you know, gives you the ability to ask kind of some of the, some of the, some of the right questions. Um, I mean, look, when it comes to, when it comes to the development side, if one of the big questions that a lot of people don't understand is there are some binary risk and there are some risks that aren't quite so binary. The binary risk would be like, like zoning, you know, make sure that if you're taking zoning risk, that might not be a bad thing. Just make sure you know that, that that's the risk that you're taking and you're getting paid for it. Um, because zoning risk is a, that's, that's a real thing. I, I was, I was actually going through, uh, city council earlier this week on a project that, um, every, everything that you, everything that you read in the comprehensive plan for this city that we were in would have suggested this would be an easy thing to get through. And we got it through, but it, it was, it took effort. Um, and you know, we, we've always said that we don't take, we don't take zoning risks because we know that is a binary risk. Um, and so for those type of projects, there is lots of value that can be created, but we will do it on the front end before we close on a property um, and make sure that we'll take them, take something through zoning, you know, spec a little bit of dollars on that, but not close until we know that it's zoned for what we're, what we're doing. Um, so yes, I don't think I actually answered the question or just kind of rambled on. No, I mean, we, we could talk about that some too. So, I mean, do you guys, do, do you advance the funds for the zoning risk, like the pre-entitlement risk? You know, you said that you guys don't take the risk, but is that just how you structure your buy side contracts with some bumps or like, let's talk through a little bit about how you mitigate the risk for the, for the zoning that you want to try and get to. Yeah. So, so obviously we're, you're taking some risk on essentially the soft cost that you're specking, right. right? The, the, yeah, we are paying our architects and our engineers to kind of go through the process. Um, but, but our contracts, at least for, for this asset, for assets like this, you know, we won't close until we, until we receive the city council approval, um, right. for the, uh, for the rezoning. And so that, that's really, I mean, and you just have to make sure when you're, when you're budgeting your, uh, your soft cost dollars that you know that, okay, you're going to risk X dollars. So in this case, we knew we were going to risk, you know, 30, $40,000 for a purchase. That was a $2 million land purchase. Um, that's going to end up being, you know, 31 townhomes and, you know, 17 to $18 million of, of, uh, sale proceeds. It, that was, so that's, that was worth taking, that was worth risking these soft dollars, but we wouldn't have closed on the property and put $2 million till we had that. Yeah. That's what I mind up. Yeah, there's a, one of my butt developer buddies here in town likes to call those pot odds. Yes. Um, Exactly. The, the pot odds for the the zoning you're trying to get to. So you can get, get that huge bump in value, but you know, it certainly comes with some risk. So what, you know, if there's investors that would are looking to participate in projects, I mean, are LPs in your experience generally exposed to that sort of risk in projects just to based on how sponsors put deals together, or is it pretty much the norm from what you've seen that LPs generally participate after that? 
I, you know, look, I, I, my my view, and again, this again goes back to what what my bias is. We we are definitely not cowboys when it comes to to binary risk like that. Um, from an LP perspective, you know, I, I think avoiding zoning risk unless you know that that is the bet that's being taken is important. You know, I do think right. there are there are some situations out there where where um, you know, an LP might not necessarily know that that is part of the risk in a deal. Um, and it might be, I would say in general, it, it would be a good idea to avoid the binary risk unless you know you're getting paid for it. Right. So what, what would, a let's just make believe that somebody was going to participate on that side of the project mm-hmm. um, prior to the zoning risk. Let's talk about how that should be reflected in you mentioned that they should get compensated for the value as well. So we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, I think just by email, but how, how should the security be priced um, or, or how would you structure a securities offering where um, somebody participated prior to the zoning risk? And, you know, what should a, I guess, what should an LP look for? They should, this should be disclosed, I would think in most projects, but, Mm-hmm. How much more should they be compensated if they're on that side of the risk versus not on that side of the risk? You know, I, I, I would say in abstract, that's not really that's not really an easy question to answer, right? Because you know, because it's not just the LP versus the sponsor. You know, the the sponsor, the whole team on the buy side, right, is who needs to make sure that they're getting paid for this risk. They are in purchasing the asset at the right price. Um, the relationship between the sponsor and the LP is you know, more on the structuring side, right? How is it structured? Um, and so, you know, actually, just to kind of expand on the question, you know, Brian, when, when you're saying how how should it be priced, is that, is that more a question on the the structuring side of it or the kind of projected returns to the LP? Well, I guess it could be either, you know, because there's there could be risks introduced in both places. But I'm really thinking more about, you know, I'm I'm an LP and I'm offered. X percent, you know, and maybe it's a pref mm-hmm. and there's some sort of split and there's some projection. And mm-hmm. if, if everything goes according to the, the pro forma, then in theory, I should make this amount of money. Um, you know, when I'm, uh, when I'm looking at the underwriting, I got to know what risks I'm taking yep. as I'm, as I'm doing that. So if I see in, in sort of the, the business plan, the way that it's laid out, that I'm really taking that, that, you know, zoning risks or any of the entitlement risks or mm-hmm. anything like that, I should probably be getting paid X versus if I'm after that, you know, it's a fair compensation for the risk that I'm taking is Y. So, you know, how, how would that, how would you just think about that if you were yeah, somebody well, investing in somebody else's deal? Yeah. So that's, that's why the zoning risk is hard, right? Because it's easy. It's not easy. It is easier to explain risk premiums on risks that are not binary. Right. right, And that, that's the, that's the talking about zoning risk. Zoning risk is if you get it, you get to build what you want to build. If you don't, what's plan B? Well, it depends on the asset. Um, so it's really hard to price the appropriate return for binary risk. You know, whether it's a, you know, 22% projected IRR versus a 15 or 17, you know, it's, it's hard. It's just, it's either a, a yes or no, you either get it or you don't. Um, now, now the, now the way that something is structured, I think is really the most important part of an LP understanding where their exposure is. 
you know, the other other thing that we always say in the office is that the model's always wrong. Yeah. So if you if you, if you're making an equity investment, you can look at the projections of what it's going to be, but the model's going to be wrong. You know, the only the only way you know you're going to get the return is if you have a if it's a debt position or preferred equity or something like that. Um, but on the equity side, there's upside and there's downside. So, you know, the most important part in, in, from my perspective as an LP would be understanding the structure and understanding, you know, where, where you are in the capital stack um, and where the incentive is for the sponsor, making sure the incentives are aligned, um, both on the upside and the downside. So, you know, pricing, pricing risk in a, to an LP is really about knowing the deal, right? Knowing what you think it's going to do, but understand the structure and kind of what happens in upside and downside scenario. Because one thing I know for sure is whatever you see in the deck, it's not going to be exactly that. Yeah, the, the moniker is uh, everyone can get rich in Excel. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. No, I haven't, but, but I like that one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so let's talk about alignment of interest. I think that, that that's probably a good topic that's coupled with risk. So if I'm a limited partner and I'm investing in a deal, um, I think a lot of our listeners understand what a preferred return is, but maybe, maybe let's talk about that a little bit and a typical deal structure that you see that kind of creates alignment between the, you know, what the sponsor is going to try to do as they're operating the project and the LP's interests. What does that look like in terms of a structuring? Yeah. So alignment of interest, I think is one of the most important elements um, for an LP to focus on. Um, you, you want to make sure that the sponsor, um, one that is raising the capital, but also that is involved in actually doing things that can impact the success of the project, right? Especially if like, if you're in development or if the sponsor is also the property manager, um, you want to make sure that they are incentivized for the project to go well, which means, you know, that's, that's why there are, um, you know, promotes that, that sponsors get, but you also want to make sure that if things don't go well, that there is some skin in the game uh, there as well, because, Look, I mean, there are there certainly are types of sponsors out there that take the approach of, well, if if we you know put a hundred bets on the table, all I need are you know ten to ten to pay off, and that's great, because you know there's a there's disproportionate upside. Well, that's true, but you got to make sure there is skin in the game, um, so that so that's not just shooting for the moon, but there's there's an appropriate level of risk aversion as well. You know, so, so what, what is, I mean, the most basic structures that you see out there, um, you know, would be a structure where there is a preferred return, you know, to the, to the LP. Um, and what that means is, you know, the sponsor puts in some money, LP puts in, the LPs put in the majority of the money. Um, but before the sponsor starts to get any disproportionate return, the LP gets a return of their, of their money and the pref return. And then after that, you start seeing the the incentive comp or the promote, you know, depending on what you're what you're calling it. Um, yeah, and so that that's the incentive on the upside, and then the alignment which on the downside is making sure the sponsor has what is an appropriate amount of money invested in the deal 
And that that's a that's a harder thing to figure out because what an appropriate amount is depends on both the size of the deal and and kind of who the sponsor is and what is important to to them. Right. Right. And what about fees? Mm-hmm. We haven't talked much about fees. Um, <clears throat> I know investors in general don't like paying fees, yeah. but you know you got to keep the lights on. So, can you talk about what you think is an appropriate level of fees and how they should be structured and what they, you know, one of the a sponsorship is kind of a, a conflicts of interest business, especially for people mm-hmm. that have a lot of the, you know, they can hire themselves basically for certain parts of, of what needs to get executed. So how should people think about that? And, you know, how should they be scrutinizing fee structures? Yeah. So, so transparency is critical. Um, and no one, no one likes fees. Um, and, but the reality is depending, depending on the sponsors, uh, set up, you know, fees are an important part of, of the business. You know, you know, Brian, I'll tell you though, we've, we have taken the approach, um, we, we have structured fees differently depending on what the deal is. You know, like for instance, we were talking about our, our builder cobalt homes, you know, we, we fund those projects, um, through, uh, equity funds that we've raised from LPs. And the first one we did was, you know, we had through our land development business, um, been a builder in other projects, but not really of the scale we were going to go for with, with Cobalt. And so the first fund, first fund we raised from LPs, uh, we wanted to make sure that there was, that they understood the incentives were aligned really well. Um, and that there was no way that we were going to make any money on this thing that didn't go well because we were essentially an unproven sponsor in that business line, right? Even even though we'd been right. developing at the time for you know ten years other residential projects, we hadn't we hadn't we hadn't started a builder in earnest, so we were unproven. So we actually structured the first fund with zero fees at all. Now you can't you you can't operate wow. that way forever. But it was important for that one uh, to know, for our investors to know that that there were no, there's no money going out to the sponsors until they got a return of capital and return on the capital. Now we we changed that structure going into the second fund and again into the third fund. Um, but I kind of bring that up because there are there are times when, as a sponsor, if if you want to kind of get into a business, it is appropriate to structure it in a way. Uh, we were acknowledging that, you know, we might be unproven. And so this is how we're going to structure it. So, but even since then, we've always taken the approach that we, we are um, fee light and fee transparent, where there's not multiple levels of fees. Um, you know, with, so with, with our current fund, the, the only fee that we have is a construction management fee. That's it. There is no equity raising fee. There is no debt debt financing fee. There is no asset management fee beyond the construction management. It is just construction management fee that is strictly based on um, construction spends, and then there's the incentive uh, the incentive promoted at the end. Now we we did that because we know that's unusual, and RLPs like that um, because I think the the more layers of fees there are, the harder it is to understand. The harder it is to understand who's getting paid what. Um, and it becomes a distraction for the LPs. Uh, so, you know, we, we were able to structure these funds in a really streamlined manner. 
I that is atypical, and I'm not saying that is how every investment should be structured. You know, for instance, if you're building multifamily, there's going to be a property management fee, there's going to be leasing fees, there's going to be an asset management fee. Um, but I'd say making sure that it's transparent is important, um, and making sure you understand who's getting who's getting what. With that's also I mean, it's also uh, not always clear when an LP is looking at the offering offering docs. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that's really the stuff I wanted to cover. Can you have anything else that you just in general about risk that you would think is a good thing for limited partners to know, just people that are out there listening and scratching their heads, trying to figure out how these sponsors are putting their deals together? Yeah. So, um, man, I don't, you know, so I would say, and this kind of goes back to, we, we focused a lot on sponsors and experience and, and what people have done or, or not done. Um, you know, I'll say, again, I think it, it, uh, having a seasoned sponsor is really important when they're, when there's sort of a, a development element to the project. Um, when it's a cash flowing project, you know, it's still important. It's just a different, different level of, of, of uh, influence on kind of the returns of the project. You know, and you know, Brian, I'm curious to get your your view on this too. Um, the historical returns for real estate investors in the kind of multifamily and resident space, uh, multifamily especially, have been really good for the past eight years. Right. Um, because with cap rates just constantly being compressed. A good deal can trust me. I mean, a bad deal can be a pretty good deal, right? Um, right. And so, you know, when when you have um, you know sponsors who have you know shown you know, our historical returns, historical returns and performance are important. But understanding the context of those, I think, is also very important. Right. Yeah, so, it's, well, you didn't have to be very smart in Austin the last five years to you know. There's been a lot of bad deals that have been done that have been bailed out by appreciation. Absolutely. And, you know, cap rate, cap rate compression, you know, maybe 50% of the overall return for a lot of these deals is because people were able to sell their asset for more than they thought they were going to when they originally put it together. It, so absolutely. that doesn't exactly make you a skillful sponsor, but you know, you got a great crack record if somebody goes and looks at that. So, you know, if, if I was somebody that wanted to dig in on that, that, you know, a limited partner, how would I go about doing that? I mean, could I could I ask them for the pro forma that they were hoping for when they when they put the deal together, and then see how it actually operated? Because I mean, it seems relatively easy for the sponsor to just either not give that or to doctor it when they send it out. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 that's a good question. I don't think probably not because again, this goes back to the the model's always wrong, right? So whatever they show you is going right. to be wrong. Um, you know, not not really. I think it's just understanding context, and and it, this fall it just falls in the category of the little dis, the little disclaimer you see on every prospectus if you're looking at a mutual fund. You know, historical performance, you know, does not guarantee future returns. It's really kind of understanding that and and understanding the historical performance in context. You know, if you have a if you right. have a sponsor that's been investing in value add multifamily for seven years. And they've never lost money on a deal. That's great, but keep it in context of what the last seven years were. Um, right. If there's a sponsor who's been investing 
uh, since 2005. And yeah, they're and they have a track record, and they show you some deals where they've lost money. Yeah, that that's right. Now they right. might have lost money, and the sponsor in the last seven years might have never lost money. But if you're going to ask me which one am I going to, you know, feel more comfortable with, it's going to be the guy who went through the cycle from 2005 right. through 2009, and you know, back up again. Um, so. And I think that, you know, that that's kind of a good point. It's, you know, there's a reason that people are getting compensated a certain amount when the, when they're putting their money in. And I think a lot of those risks are kind of long tail risks that, you know, it might only happen in a certain set of circumstances. But the guy that's only been operating for five years maybe hasn't encountered that set of circumstances, whereas the person that's been doing it for 20 definitely has. And I definitely see that in a lot of the sponsors that I talk to in terms of how they just think about risk in general, you know, so long-term greedy, um, make sure that they're, you know, have enough cash to carry mm -hmm. them through the, the down cycles, you know, those are all good things to think about when you're trying to figure out who you want to, you know, place your bets with in terms of a, you know, a limited partner, limited partner type investment. Oh, definitely. No, the, the long-term greedy, it's a great, I love that one. It's a great one. Yeah. 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 Well, Hey, thanks again, Josh. Um, I know we're here on a, on a Friday before spring break. So, uh, we're probably both eager to get out and do the next thing, but I, I really like to thank you for your time and appreciate your attention. And hopefully some of our listeners have learned a lot and maybe all of them have learned a little bit. So thanks yeah, so I much. Yeah, really appreciate it. It was good talking with you. Yeah. Josh, did you want to give everyone a, uh, just a plug for, how, how they can get in touch with you guys or what you guys have, have going uh, yeah. on? Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, so you know, our, our website, um, the, the Cobalt Homes website is uh, cobaltdfw.com, uh, and it has some information on the projects that, that we're doing. Um, yeah, if you guys have any interest, you know, feel free to, feel free to reach out. Okay. Well, hey, thanks All so right, much. Thank you. Appreciate it.